familiar with the case. Any idea where I could find him? Your police plan on taking me in. I would much prefer that to the alternative. Every leap of civilization was built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. Exactly. Um, so welcome to the Wages of Cinema, everyone. Uh, so we have a, a special uh, kind of episode tonight. Um, uh, Andrew actually couldn't make it to this particular screening. Um, hopefully he'll still be able to make it um, uh, to, to see it some other time. But uh, for now, I am joined by uh, special guest star Matt. Howdy. And special guest star Corey. Hello. Yes. You don't give a howdy, do you? I'm not a howdy person. Okay. Well, good. Matt is. Um, so, anyway, we saw Blade Runner 2049, and um, this was dense. <laughs> yes, this is this is heady stuff. This, like, this might be, uh, I put this status on Facebook, like, while I was, like, in the bathroom waiting online, uh. This might be the densest $150 million blockbuster I've ever seen. Do you mean dense as in very layered or dense as in stupid? Well, no, no. I think dense as in layered in a good way. Like, I, um, like, because I was just reminded of, uh, in my head, I, I, you know, there's the famous uh, behind the scenes uh, feature uh, for The Phantom Menace where uh, the producer Rick McCollum is talking about uh, how, you know how George Lucas is creating all of these you know all of these scenes and he's like it's it's so dense every shot has so much going on and of course he's completely did. full of shit yeah. no it didn't but i thought about it in this case and it's kind of true i mean maybe not every single shot but a lot of scenes a lot of things are just like I haven't had to pay attention to a movie in so long, and yet it reaped a lot of rewards when I did, if that makes sense. Like, I I think that this was an extremely worthy sequel to uh, uh, the, the Blade Runner... Do we call that now Blade Runner 2019? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're just calling this one Blade Runner 2049. Um... Since Andrew isn't here, I'll just give a quick recap of the plot in, I guess, as simple way as I can. Because there are, there are so many, there are a good number of spoilers that we could get into later on. Although I don't almost know where to begin with those. Um, what you need to know here is that Ryan Gosling is a replicant. No, 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 no he's not. No, no. Uh, he is. Maybe. Maybe no, no, no. The grand tradition of Blade Runner. Some things are unsure. No, I, I, that, that just. So this is not a spoiler. No, no, no. That that just popped out of my head. Let me, let me redo that. I'm not gonna edit that out, but let me, let me redo. Okay. We can start with Ryan Gosling as a replicant. You're making this more complicated. No, I was about to say he's a Blade Runner. He's both. Well, is he? But is he? Yeah. Well. Let's keep your audience guessing until they see the film for themselves. Ryan Gosling plays a character named K. Or Joe, uh, he's a K. Yeah, he's just called K. He's like in Men in Black. Um, he is uh, 
try, uh, he, he finds some information at the farm of Dave Bautista. Like, he, he's the first, because you might see him in the trailer, he's the first, that's the first scene of the movie, uh, where they have that big fight, uh, where they go through walls and uh, everything like that. Um, uh, so, and uh, by the way, and Dave Bautista plays a character named Sapper Morton. I don't know what that why it's called Sapper, but hey, it's Blade Runner. Um, and so he has this information, and it leads him into a mystery that involves um, a lot of things that are being kept under wraps, um, by and large, uh, by uh, this character played by Jared Leto, um, who is, God, what was his name again? Oh, uh, ne- ne- Neander Wallace. And... He, Nander Wallace, is creating these New Age replicants who almost come out of, like, a gigantic sack. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure how that works, but he kind of considers them all his children. But there's a secret that Nander Wallace wants, and uh, with his uh, banged... Uh, when I say banged, I mean her hair. Oh, yeah. Uh, her, his assistant. Um, Sylvia Hoax. Is that the actress? Yeah. Okay. Who plays stinker character named Love? The name is Love? I didn't even catch her name. Sylvia Hoax? Oh, Hoax? Yeah. Oh, I see her now. Wow. I'm just looking at her IMDb page. She looks so different in the movie, doesn't she? Yeah. Like, she, if you go to her IMDb, this woman looks like just a model. Like, she, she's from the Netherlands. And I hadn't seen her in a movie before this. I don't know if anybody else, like, maybe if you have, like, you She's can... the best. <laughs> <laughs> all the rest. She she's, she's a damn good cup of actress, but we'll get to that. And uh, eventually this, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Gosling's K is trying to find out more information about uh, this information that he has, but it also leads him to question who he is. I don't think that is necessarily spoiler. Well, I already... Yeah, I, Fuck, I gave it's, it away. It's a Blade Runner movie. It's all about the question of identity and what's authentic and what's fake. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you're being too tough on yourself in terms of I, I that was like a, self-censorship. That it's was okay. a Blade Runner slip. You're um, doing good. All right. Well, all right. So I think that kind of covers what the plot Basically, is. Basically, the mystery loops back to um, what's left dangling at the end of the original Blade Runner movie. So you do have to see that one before you see this one. Otherwise, you won't get a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think that that's probably a good idea. Um, I, I would say that you probably wouldn't... If you hadn't seen the first Blade Runner, you wouldn't have gotten this, right, Corey? I don't know. Actually, I was wrestling with this because unlike the two gentlemen on either side of me who had a long-running familiarity with the original Blade Runner... I hadn't seen Blade Runner until yesterday. Yeah, so yeah, we I I showed uh, Blade Runner. To I had seen Blade Runner one and Blade Runner twenty forty nine in the space of the last twenty four hours, and actually, I think this movie I think it stands alone fairly well. The things that you need to know about the first movie, I mean, you pick up pretty well um, from watching it. I don't necessarily. No, let me. Rephrase that. I don't think you need to see the first movie to follow the plot 
that, that, that's that's movie. that's a good way to phrase it. I do it. think certain things might not emotionally resonate with you as much if you haven't seen the first movie. Yeah. So I think from a character development perspective, maybe you need the first one. But I really don't think you need to see the first movie to follow the plot of the second one. Hmm. Yeah. I, well, the thing is, uh, in this movie, Ryan Gosling is in almost every scene of the film. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of scenes that cut away uh, to action, like that uh, that the Sylvia Hoek's character does, or uh, once or twice when eventually we get to Deckard, um, then we see some scenes with him. But no, by and large, this is actually just Ryan Gosling's story, and what uh, the director Denny Villeneuve and uh, the, 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 by the way, the same writer from Blade Runner is back, uh, Hampton Fancher. Um, they're wrestling with the same kind of issues that were in the first movie, but you don't, but if you were to just come to the, see this movie, I think that a good lot of it, you could understand. Um, it's just that it seeing the other ones help a little bit as far as, um, character eventually not, not all the way, but it's, it's, that was something I kind of liked about it too, though, is that the fact that this can mostly stand on its own. Uh, do you think that way, Matt? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't... Well, I mean, I guess you could see it without having seen the first one, but I don't think you'd be getting, like Corey said, the emotional resonance of, like, it helps to have seen the, the first one just to get that background in the world. And yeah, no, no, there is that. I mean, it, it helps to kind of understand already from the first movie what replicants are and what function they served in society and how uh you know how what what kind of changes they went through uh, obviously this is a case where in 30 years uh in the time between blade runner which was set in 2019 and this one 30 so th there's a lot that's that we're led to believe has kind of happened most nobody they reference this thing like that there was a blackout that I guess wiped out a lot of records and made things a little more uh, obtuse as far as being able to find things. Um, as far as the look of the film, what I found interesting uh, to first touch on that, uh, the how uh, when you see that original film, you know, it, it, there's so much about the the world that looks so disgusting and ugly which is then contrasted by the fact that they have all this synthetic life and all these uh, all this technology at their disposal, but everything is so run down. Here, um, in this new one, I think that things are still run down, but I don't know if I got to be in the world as much as in the original. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying about that. Like It, it kind of feels like there's a lot of stuff that's either only in... Joe or Kay's apartment or the police office or the Wallace Industries and then the actual stuff that's in the world that we do see is actually even more desolate than the original because you have like this the, just like the deserts out where he's meeting the other characters yeah and it's kind of actually maybe even crappier than the original because you don't spend that much time exploring the city it's yeah I mean there are there are a couple scenes where you do see Kay in the city environment and there it looks a little it does look a little similar to the first film but at the same time yeah it's a little more desolate 
Um, it's still very ugly. It feels like, you know, in the original, it never stops raining here. That continues. It also never stops snowing. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, Corey. I know sometimes you have a thing about movies that look very, like, ugly visually. And oh, yeah. that can be, I... like, a put-off. But you actually... I remember when we were watching the original yesterday... A comment you made to me was that this is the kind of movie Joel Schumacher wishes he could make. Yeah, actually, <laughs> visually, um, this modern Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, did a few things that, frankly, I don't like 90% of the time, but I liked in this movie. Basically, <coughs> when I saw the original Blade Runner yesterday... I liked it, but it didn't knock my socks off or anything. I'd give it, like, three out of five stars. So I liked okay. it, but I wasn't like, oh, my God, this is amazing. To me, this second film, Blade Runner 2049, is significantly superior to the first one. Mm. Basically, everything the first Blade Runner does well, I think this movie does even better. Mm. So I think it improves even further on the strengths of Blade Runner 1, and it basically fixes the weaknesses of Blade, of Blade Runner 1. So the, I thought this yeah. movie, as visually impressive as Blade Runner 1 was, and I do think Blade Runner 1 is a pretty good-looking film, I think this movie looked even better. It totally knocked my, knocked my socks off. And normally, there are several scenes in this movie that are um, monochromatic. Yeah. And normally, I hate that. I almost always hate that when directors yeah. do it. But in this, it was amazing. This movie is gorgeous. It's even better looking than the first one. And the first one looks pretty nice. And this movie is in every way an improvement on the first one. Which we, I um, thought was good, but not great. I mean, I won't. I, it's hard for me to say every single thing because they're... I think that both films are doing slightly different things. I don't know if you can attest to this, Matt. I feel like the original is much more steeped in film noir than this yeah. film is. Mm -hmm. Like, the original is almost a film noir that just happens to take place in, like, a, the future and has, like, the the setting of, of, of like, a, a, of a sci-fi film. It's really more of, like, a mystery detective story. And whereas this, I feel like, leaned much more into sci-fi. Like, if there were film noir elements, they were a little bit more muted. They weren't quite as pronounced. There are still there is still a lot of photography in the film, which obviously we'll get to that more. But in this, I think it was much more about the 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 themes of. I, obviously, I know the original is about identity too, but this felt like it leaned way more into those questions that come up in science fiction more than film noir. Yeah, I mean, I actually am kind of going to be the reverse core and say I still prefer the original. I like Blade Runner, the original, better. Stop the presses, everyone. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. And like, this, this wasn't bad. This is actually one of the rare sequels that doesn't embarrass the legacy of the forerunner, and I like that, and it's good, but at the same time, I also wasn't wowed by it. Like, it was a solid movie that I didn't feel was as special as the I, original. I will say, though, Corey, mm -hmm. there is absolutely one thing, 100%, I think, that this new movie does a lot 
much better than the original, which is uh, having a romance. Like, in the original, that felt rather ham-fisted. Like, Harrison Ford and Sean Young were... You know they were good. They were good actors, very good actors in the film. They did a really great job in their roles, but when it came time for um, Deckard, uh, for whatever reason, for him to try to get closer emotionally to uh, when Deckard gets closer to Rachel, it, it was hard for me to buy it because it almost looked like it hurt Harrison Ford to <laughs> kiss Sean Young in the movie. Like, it almost looked like they were two people who had never kissed before in a film, which is really unnerving when you consider that Harrison Ford was just coming off of The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's, like, the Mac Daddy of, <laughs> like, of, of screen charisma. Um, I think this movie kind of addresses that, though. Hmm. Is that a spoiler, though? To st- I'm not going to go into detail but i think this movie addresses um yeah oh no no yeah and the, i but yeah it's definitely a flaw in the first film yeah whereas in this film what you get is um and this isn't i don't know if this is this isn't a spoiler this is just talking about a, a main part of the film uh ryan gosling uh, his k character he his relationship is with a a woman who he knows, and we know, of course, that is not only not, it, it's not even, it's not even that it's like someone that's like a replicant, it's not like a replicant situation. It's someone who's part of a computer program. She's a hologram. Yeah, she's a hologram who, um, and I'm trying to remember, was, who was this actress? Was this? It's Joy, the Anna de Armas, is that? Anna de Armas, yes. Again, another actress who... I, I thought looked really familiar to me. Like, she looked more familiar than the actress who played uh, um, Love. Love. Um, when I look her up, I... Oh, actually, she was in Knock Knock. We were just talking about that in the car <laughs> ride home for some reason. She hasn't been in too many movies. I think that she, she, the, she and Ryan Gosling have excellent chemistry together. And you really buy the relationship that is sort of already there when the movie uh, introduces her. Like, you know, in, this, in their apartment, he has this hologram who we immediately pick up on is part of his life. And what I liked so much, though, is that there is development between the two of them. You almost forget it for maybe a minute or two that she's a hologram, she's not real, and then all of a sudden the movie will do something to make it seem, oh, oh, God, she's she's out. Like there's this there's this scene where Ryan Gosling is flying into um, this like deserted decrepit city, where San Diego. <laughs> Poor San Diego. Damn it! You deserve com- better. Your comic cons have ruined us for the last time. <laughs> um, but uh, he gets shot down, and she's in like the the like the passenger seat in the scene. But then his tech goes down. All of a sudden, she's gone. And it feels like there's this real disconnect that happens. And then she tries to come back after he lands. And I felt really, like, tense for him in that moment. It's like, oh, my God, she's trying to wake him up. And he's not getting up in that moment. And uh, um, I thought that was something that was much stronger in this film um, that uh, compared to the first one. And I know it's hard for us. I know we should try to just focus on this movie but it's it's kind of hard to when 
not unlike other Harrison Ford movies where he plays uh, in the 21st century, uh, returning as a, well, let's say without spoiling too much, a father figure who... Who's a curmudgeon. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's interesting. This kind of completes a kind of trilogy, doesn't it, of of revivals of Harrison Ford and his famous 80s movie roles. Yeah. You know, you had Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You had Star Wars The Force Awakens. And now you have Blade Runner 2049. Um, <coughs> as cantankerous as ever. Well, cantankerous, but in a, it, not quite in the same way as in those other movies. Yeah. And I feel like in this, he's a little more subdued. He's cantankerous without the twinkle in his eye. Yeah. Like, he gives, to me, I feel like... Uh, he gives kind of the best performance of those three movies <laughs> by far. Well, I mean, you don't have to talk about Kingdom of Crystal Skull too much. Um, I um, So that part, I think, is better than in the first movie, Corey. As far as dealing with identity, uh, that whole part of the movie, it's hard for me to say right after I just saw the film um, because I just... How do I say this? Like, they're both doing similar things. It's just that, obviously, this new movie goes a lot more in depth about those questions. There's a part of me that almost wonders, though, how it's going to play when I see it again. Because I, I, I just like for everyone to know, this is a long movie. that We we got we saw this movie at 7 o'clock. It's now, like, 10.30. Um, but I'm just... I'm trying to think about, like... There are certain story elements in this film that I'm still wondering if if they were cut out, if the movie would still work or be even better. Um, like everything with uh, like when like when Deck when not Deckard, when when Kay's in that deserted city and he comes upon that uh, whole thing where the guy is training the kids. The orphanarium. Is that what it's called? No, that's what no, I call it. But the orphanarium. <laughs> the orphanarium. Not the orphans. Um, <laughs> I, I I mean I, I eventually I know that what where that where that eventually leads is ex- extremely important for the K character. But I'm not quite sure what the other what that stuff with the orphans still means in the film. And, yeah, I mean they probably could have cut most of that. Like it was, it was mostly a dead end except for one thing. He finds one thing there, so it's like, but they they could have shortened that. But I mean, I get what you're saying with the, the how they're doing the two different, um, they're doing the same thing thing two different ways. Or I think it's why I like the first one better because, like you said, it's a noir mystery. But then you pick up on like the identity questions that are like sort of layered in as a subset of the main plot. Whereas this is the identity questions are like the whole plot basically, and there's not really which, a lot around it. Which which is fine, I think. It's just that, um, I I just wonder if at a certain point, you does it get to a point where where those questions be not become I don't know if the word is redundant, but if it's just a little repetitive. I don't know. I know you don't agree, Corey. Yeah, I didn't think the movie was repetitive. I didn't think it was overly long at all. The only thing I will say is, I do not think this movie is overly long. I will say, though, this movie is demanding. Yes. It's not the type of movie that you can come into 
and be lazy and passive and disconnected. It's a movie that demands, that makes like demands on the audience, mm-hmm. which frankly, I think we're not really used to that because a lot of movies now are, you know, spectacle, kind of lowest common denominator spectacles. Yeah. This is a movie that actually asks you to think. So I didn't think it was, oh, I didn't think it was overly long. And as, but I will confess that as much as I enjoyed the movie, and I probably enjoyed it the most out of the three of us, um, it's not the type of movie you're going to want to pop in on a lazy Sunday afternoon all the time. Maybe not, no. I mean, I, I will say that there's a part of me that almost thinks this could be, this might be a great film. Uh, you know, this could be actually one of the best films I've seen all year. I'm just not sure yet. <laughs> it's kind of similar to when we saw Mother, only since then I think I've found things about that movie that I don't care for as much. Um, that's a whole other discussion. Um, yeah, You know what it is also? It's a difference between the two. I think the original had a little bit more of like a... not Not throughout, obviously, but in parts like a really dark sense of humor. Or at least because you had Rucker Hauer, you had that real force of energy. Yeah. Which is a little bit missing from this film, which is fine. I think that all the actors in this movie do really well. I think that Denny Denis Villeneuve, I'm mispronouncing his name probably, um, he's really great with actors. He even gets probably one of my, I'd say probably my favorite performances from Ryan Gosling. Like, yeah, one of... Like, he grew on me as as the movie went on. One of the main reasons why I like this movie a lot more than the first one is Harrison Ford is kind of a lump of oatmeal in Blade Runner 1, whereas Ryan Gosling has such charisma that even though I don't think the script necessarily gives him more to work with than the first script gave Harrison Ford. It just, he elevates the material. So I Mm. actually, even though the first Blade Runner movie is much shorter, I thought that movie really dragged at times. And I thought that movie was kind of sluggish in the first hour, especially because I thought, man... These characters aren't very lively. These people I, are kind of dull. I don't know. I See, I have to disagree with you there. I think um, seeing, well, especially seeing the movie again, I found a little, I found more with the Harrison Ford character in Blade Runner, just as far as the type of character he was, who was le- much, again, leaning more into film noir. With this, Ryan Gosling isn't playing that so much. He's just, you know, future cop. But I just um, thought Ryan Gosling had so much I, going on internally from minute one. And I think he was a much better actor to handle the type of role that this mm, is. I Well, I would say that actually at first I wasn't quite sure about that as far as what you're saying internally. I think that as the movie went on, I think the, when it really came together for me is when he finds that object in that uh, abandoned uh, place. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say where exactly. Um, again, you should see the movie to f- find out. Um, again, that's another thing. If you've seen the first film, uh, there there are certain sim- symbols and totems that kind of carry over into this film. Why that is, maybe you have to ask Hampton Fancher. I don't know. Um, but 
I know. I, yeah, I, as I don't know if I was completely on board with Gosling from the very beginning. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say he was doing poorly. He was, he was, he was good. I just, I think that it took me a little while for me to finally tap into him. And then once he, then once I did, then I was like, oh, okay, he's really bringing a lot to this character. Um, whereas I think for me, Harrison Ford was there from minute one. And again, I, we're, we're comparing it so much, but it's, again, you're dealing with one of the major movies of like the past 40 years with that original Blade Runner. It's like, God, Hollywood keeps doing this to us, man. We have to like keep comparing them to the originals. And we still don't know why they're called Blade Runners in this <clears throat> Because William S. Burroughs was really messed up and they liked the name. <laughs> but it's based on a Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, but Blade Runner comes from William S. Burroughs. Why did they steal his name, then? I don't know! <laughs> because it sounds cool. I don't know. Why are the Beatles called the Beatles? Um, <laughs> they should kill with blades more often to yeah. make it make more sense. I mean, there was some stabbing in this film, but they should be primarily killers with blades. Yeah, but to all, make the whole most of the stabbings were done by replicants. Yeah, yeah it's true. Matt, a question. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, um, God, I, and now I need to look her up again. Uh, the actress who's playing, uh, why is her name Love? Anyway? Because that's what Jared Leto picked. <laughs> Sylvia Hope. It's Love's L-U-V, by the way. Um, is she kind of the Rucker Hauer of this movie? Kind of, but she's Rucker Hauer in the opposite direction. Yeah. Like, she feels much more like a character from Do Android's Game of Electric Sheep, mm. which I liked. Yes. I need to read that book in full. I uh, I only read, like, about 30 pages of it, which is weird for me because I love Philip K. Dick. Uh, I love a lot of his books, but... Uh, it's not a long book either. No, I know. I should read it. Like, And I know that they changed a lot from... The book for the yeah, the yeah. movie, um, but you're saying that was something that felt closer to the book. Yeah, she felt closer to the book, huh. which I mean, where it was like this cold blooded type of woman who will just like, you know, she'll just totally tear ass through a room. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. She almost reminded me too of a character from uh, the book "Flow My Tears." The policeman said. Um, that's another thing altogether. But yeah, Sylvia Hoex, I think, is somebody who I hope gets a lot of work from this. Like, she's really spectacular here. As, like, again, almost like a female Anton Chigurh type, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> it's someone who, as soon as you see her, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Also with a unique haircut. Um, and again, I mentioned that... Uh, uh, Anna de Armas is, is quite good. There's an actress who popped up here who, as soon as I saw her face, she's one of those people who I'm like, who is she? And then I looked her up, Mackenzie Davis. Yes. Yeah. She's one of those people, like, she's on Black Mirror. Yes, yeah, she was on the, one of the best episodes, uh, <laughs> San Junipero, which you should watch. I, really I will. You know where I suddenly realized, though, that I had seen her? Even though I never watched the show... She's one of the main characters on Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I've seen the ads for the show, and she always kind of looked a little distinctive. It's like, oh, she's yeah. kind of a nice face. And then it's like, oh, okay. Oh, that's who that is. 
Um, I did the same thing. By the way, um, yeah, you knew who I was. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, one thing that I should also mention, one, one thing that does make this film stand out, uh, one, one expectation I had going into this, I wanted Denis Villeneuve to do one thing, which was, like in sort of the original film, show me things that I haven't seen before, if you can. Show me something cinematically that can really grab my attention. And there were, again, just on a first viewing, there were a few things that did. Um, there's one scene in particular where, um, uh, where, God, I'm, I'm just looking your name up again. Uh, oh, Joy, she wants to have a sensual time, so to speak, with, uh, Kay. How she goes about that, that entire scene was amazing. Yeah. Like, that is, like, how you use cinema in a way that is so unique like you, you agree you know what I mean Corey it was really cool yeah like and it's to the point where there's almost like no there's no dialogue for the majority of the scene and how the visual effects of it work I have no idea how they almost kind of you could say combine two actors uh I won't this isn't spoiling this plot so much as just spoiling the moment that I want you to experience yourself seeing this. Um, so it's like a threesome, but there are only two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, physically yes, spiritually maybe it's something else. Um, but that was really that was amazing. There, you know, Roger Deakins. To me, this is the. Like again, he's a cinematographer who's you you know of uh, his you've probably seen his name on any given movies. He's worked with the Coen Brothers for decades, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, uh, he's also worked with Villeneuve on uh, Sicario and Prisoners. Um, seeing this, it, it almost makes me feel like when I saw The Departed, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, Scorsese's finally get the, gonna get the Oscar. Uh, <laughs> like this is it De if Deacons doesn't get the Oscar for this I don't know maybe he should just like steal it <laughs> <laughs> like his work in this movie like again we talk about how pretty and uh, visually it looks um, it it's just like like so many scenes it's like how is he doing this? It's like, because what he does is that a lot of the film looks super realistic, but the way that the light is coming into these sets and these locations, it, it looks like, where is that coming from? Where, where is, where is he doing this? Um, and that's just, you know, really great. Uh, also there are a lot of other cool locations. Like when we finally find Deckard, that was probably my favorite location in the film because yes. of the things that happen. Uh, I don't know, where are some other things you guys want to talk about with this film before um, we get into spoilers? I don't know, I'm trying to think what we can talk about that isn't a spoiler. Yeah. Let's just get into it then. Alright, so, uh, but just just to give our brief thoughts, I really like this movie a lot. I think it may be uh, a work of genius and a work of art. Uh, it seems like the type of film that I may need to revisit more than once. Uh as a side note, uh, it, that may be also because for the first half hour of this film, we had kind of a terrible movie-going experience. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a good piece of advice. If anybody's happening to listen to this podcast and 
you're the type of person that goes to movies and doesn't care uh, about, say, the other people and uh, their enjoyment, especially if it's a serious film. Well, first of all, go fuck yourself. Secondly, don't do that. Uh, because for the first half hour, we had, like, 14-year-olds who were talking a lot this during this This pack film. of teenagers. And we were not sitting any... We were not sitting near them. We were not sitting next to them. We were not sitting right in front of them or behind them. We were sitting on a whole separate side of the theater. But they were talking so incessantly. They never stopped. And uh, I even had... I even did the rare thing where I got up and in a normal voice said, can you please be quiet? And I then sat back down in my seat. They stopped for maybe 30 seconds and then went right back to talking. And then you actually left the theater to go tell yeah. uh, somebody. I went to go get an usher, and it was funny. As I was walking, this other guy yeah. got up at the exact same time. So we both saw a theater employee yeah. at the same time. And actually... I thought he was just going to talk to them, but he actually kicked them out. Yeah, so, so so thank you, uh, Teenex Cinemas, for doing that. You saved at least three quarters of the movie for me. By, by I kind of feel like that first half hour is pretty important because you're getting yeah. given so much information and so much... You're, you're getting introduced to this whole world and you know, you're getting introduced to all these weird things like... Uh, for you know, like when Ryan, you know, the way that Ryan Gosling's character is like, is he like interviewed by he's, like a computer? He's debriefed, yeah, like they're and checked for trauma. Yeah, it feels like a psychological analysis. Um, and like when I was watching that, it's like I'm trying to focus on uh, here. Here's that's another thing where I felt like I hadn't quite seen that in a movie. If not, if if I had seen it before, it hadn't been a long time, and you know, again, it had to have been in some type of headier sci-fi like Dark City or, or Gattaca or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I highly recommend the film. Uh, please go see it on as big a screen as possible and with the nicest audience possible. Um, this movie is awesome. Go see it. If somehow, some way, any of those obnoxious teenagers are ever listening to this podcast, go take a long walk off a short period, chunks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not our fault there are no more, like, arcades or roller rinks or uh-huh. other places you young people go to. <laughs> Millennials killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> the internet killed them. Um, all right, so maybe we should just get right into the spoilers part. So if you don't want to be spoiled, please pause now, or if you dare to... Uh, get uh, the full replicant experience, then keep listening. The Nicholas for the colonial ships, closest any of them or any of us is going to get to that grand life off world. So come on now. What sort do you have in mind? Because I got all kinds. No, no, no. I'm not buying. No, no, no. This is just my game, and I play it fair. No, no. I mean, bigger than you. Bigger than you were trying to shut me down. Bigger than you, and they were, they were men at that. Um. So, 
is it supposed to be left up as a mystery or or did I miss something about Ryan Gosling's parentage? No, he's a replicant. Yeah, it's okay. not because he he believes that he is Harrison Ford's child, but he's not. It's a fake out because it's really the doctor in the dome. Yeah, no, no, no. Ev- no, th- eventually I had that oh moment. But then I still wondered, okay, so if Ryan, so if K is a replicant, like, what? Then you know, but then that that's one of the interesting things in the film. That's one. That's the main thing that keeps you engaged. Is this idea of he's having these memories of um, being, you know, ha- of this incident when he was a kid, uh, where he hid and hit, you know, put away this little wooden horse. Um, but then he finds the wooden horse, and that really fucks with him. And it also, but it's also meant to fuck with the audience, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, the audience is definitely led to believe it's a fake out. And actually, it's I thought, a good fake out. I it's, thought it's it clever. was really creative that the film kind of subverts the chosen one arc. Yeah. Because this is such a common trope in these movies that, like, you're the shiny special one. And the movie does a credible job of building the case that Ryan Gosling is the child of replicants, which is the holy grail they're all looking for. Um, A child produced by a replicant. And so I think this movie does this really well because on the one hand, they do a good job building the idea that Ryan Gosling is the child, but when they pull the rug out from under you and you find out he's not and that he's mistaken and that he's just a regular replicant, it is A, genuinely surprising, but B, not contrived. Like, you don't feel ripped off when the twist comes. Like, it's not a cheap twist. It's not an M. Night Shyamalan twist. No, no, no. This isn't like, this isn't like Split. Yeah, it's a smart, well done, well earned. Well, well, twist. also it, it also plays upon if you've seen the the original movie, uh, Blade Runner. You know, in that film, one of the key cruxes uh, was this question of is Deckard a replicant, and um, you know, does the movie does the movie work as well or not? If we if we believe he is, should it be left up in the air? I know we had a long discussion after we watched Blade Runner yes. about that. Um, I really want Decker to... I really wanted Blade Runner to lean heavily, more heavily into the Deckard as a replicant. I didn't need it to be... Like, I was fine with it being ambiguous, but I still think they needed more Deckard as yeah, a replicant I'm, than what's actually in the movie. I'm curious to know, Matt, because I don't know if I've asked you, do you think he is... I'm not sure. Like it depends yeah. on what cut I'm looking at or how I'm I'm feeling that day. If if they included uh, footage from Legend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See why I actually had a thought today about that. Like, what if he's just remembering seeing the movie Legend? <laughs> 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 um, but no. What I was about to say is it plays upon that expectation because you think, well, okay, so in that film, the question is: here's this guy who is questioning his own identity. Because he has this vision of this of this unicorn, you know. Then Edward James almost leaves the little unicorn thing for him, and uh, there are a couple of maybe little subtle clues in that film. So you think maybe okay, so they're reversing that here, where you have this character 
who we are kind of told up front, this is a, you are a replicant, uh, but what if you're not? What if you've actually been human all this time? Um, so that is also, I think, what is part of the cleverness, this idea that you are, if you've seen the other film, it adds that other expectation, I think. And I don't know if that's part of it, but... Yeah, that's kind of part of the inversion of it. Another funny thing is that I had read an article that says, like, as soon as Blade Runner 2049 comes out, you'll no longer be able to speculate about whether Deckard is a replicant or human because the sequel is going to spoil it for you. But I was actually pleasantly surprised that they don't go out of the no, way they don't. for you. Well, no, no, I th- but they, also... They have hints th- that it could go either way, I don't but they know. don't address I, I th- it I at think all. by the end of this film, I think it's still a little ambiguous yeah, to me. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. how how Deckard and Rachel had a kid together, I'm still kind of wondering about some of the mechanics of that, yes. so to speak. Right. <laughs> mechanics. Uh, but, uh, I, see what you did there. I mean, I guess that's just supposed to be the fact of, as they mentioned, this miracle, uh, etc. Like, if a human did procreate with a replicant, or if they were both replicants, how they had a kid. Yeah. Um, I think that question is still ambiguous by the end of the film, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I think this movie handled it very well, although I remain team Deckard is a, is a replicant for life. He has some super replicant sperm then, doesn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those Nexus guys really... Uh... Even though a human and a replicant breeding kind of makes more sense than two replicants. Yeah, because then, like, well, then you have to think about, like, and maybe this is, the, this is getting a little bit too deep into some of the uh, minutia of it, but no, but like, and I feel like I'm a stoner talking about this now. Like, so if you have like these two replicants, like how, what, what did, was it in the programming that they can reproduce and just nobody thought to do it as a replicant? Well, that's part of what Jared Leto was saying. It was like, did you fall in love or were you designed to fall in love with her? Oh, right, See, right. that's what I was talking about. How the movie... I feel like is apologizing for the terribleness of the romance in the first movie because Jarrett Leto is basically <coughs> saying you were programmed to fall in love with her. So you guys got together because you were programmed, not because you actually had chemistry. But then doesn't that create a little bit more of a convoluted sense of stuff, though? I mean, unless if... But then, so does that mean that M. Emmett Walsh was also in on it in the original? Why he was so like, I need you, Dick. I need your eye, you know, all this stuff. Whereas, you know, why would you hire someone who is a total drunken louse? I I have a question for you guys. I've mainly been gushing all over this film, but did you guys think that maybe Jarrett Leto's dialogue was like a little too much? Super pretentious. It was too much. It was, but here's where I would almost excuse that. Like, at first, I was a little worried about that going in. Like, because um, another thing I should mention, in case anybody's interested... Um, they, they are actually some Blade Runner short films that got made in conjunction with this. I, I, I kind of don't want this to be a regular trend in movies, uh, but apparently Ridley Scott has a thing for doing this. He did it with Alien Covenant, and now there are on, on YouTube, not one, not two, but three Blade Runner midquel shorts, you could say. Uh, one takes place in 2036, I think. And that short uh, involves Jared Leto's character um, meeting with some people about the replicant prohibition. 
and that just ends with his replicant, like, cutting himself, which is weird. Uh, there's also another prequel short that involves uh, Dave Bautista's character, um, who... I guess he. I guess he's supposed. To, he's the one replicant that gets hunted down in the film, right? Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, nice little piece of trivia I should mention really fast. Um, I was watching the making of Blade Runner again last night, and uh, the writer was talking about how Ridley Scott had this whole idea for a set piece, and uh, when they were writing the script, where it's like, so he had this whole idea of this the scene set in a farm where. Uh, uh, you know, you see like this bowl of soup, and you focus on this bowl of soup boiling, and you like hadn't been, you're like, oh my god, the soup! Oh, I'm so crazy! I have to write about the soup now, and uh, <laughs> and that scene is kind of what opens the movie in a way. Um, where I was going with this, uh, I might have lost the thread. Of what we started about. with me saying. Some of Jarrett Leto's dialogue oh, is pretentious oh, well, okay. and too much. Well, from seeing that short film, I again, I didn't know much about his character. I thought in that film he really is talking... Uh, he's talking a little pretentious, but I kind of enjoy what he says in the short film anyway. Um, but I feel like they give a, a... By showing that he's... Isn't he basically a robot? No. Don't they put like a chip he's in his head? He's got cyborg eyes yeah. that he connects to the drone cameras. Because he's blind, so he's doing oh. a computer uplink to the drone cams. Oh, wow. I totally misread that. Because I thought that... I thought he had some type of programming that just let him speak. I guess not. All right, then maybe he is pretentious. <laughs> I, have a nit, I, I have a nitpick um, about the film. And this is, most, this is more so in the third act. And I guess this is just a thing that maybe sometimes movies do that you just have to kind of roll with it. There were a couple of points where the movie repeats itself, like repeats a couple of points, like in a, like a flashback or in a little bit of a voice from earlier in the film. And I don't know if those were necessarily entirely. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they kind of remind you oh, of yeah. a plot point yeah. or yeah, a story we point. remember, yeah. Good, I'm glad you did. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they're implants, Matt. <laughs> um... And all, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, I really like, uh, at the very end, uh, Kay's death. That's really poetic. Yes. That's a very nice little moment. Um, and, uh, there's also a final, uh, fight that happens in, like, uh, water. Yeah. Where, I'm out, one thing I should say, I'm glad I didn't see this movie in 3D, because <laughs> I think that would have been really muddy and hard to They're watch. They're still doing 3D movies in oh, yeah. 2017. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know who's going to see them. Uh, I keep hoping if I just keep ignoring this trend, it'll go away. It, it, why would it go away? It's like, it, it, it's a, it's in printing money, like, in the easiest way possible. Uh, um, now, the thing is that we know up front that Gosling is a replicant, and he, replicants are used for slave labor, so why does he get paid a bonus or anything at all? Oh, you mean, why is he working as a cop? No, I mean, I mean, I know where he's working as a cop, I just don't know why the LAPD is paying him anything. Is that I the whole point of having I actually have a theory them? about this. Okay. And it's something that is tied into a line of dialogue from Jarrett Leto. The reason why he gets a bonus 
is to make the humans feel better about themselves and to make them feel better about their relationship to the replicants. Because it's obvious that the humans don't like feeling like abusive, exploitative slave masters, even though they are. So it's a way for the humans to pat themselves on the back for how kind they are. Because I think you see that with the Robin Wright character, where she wants to perceive herself as a fair, decent person. Even when, even mm. when, I mean, her entire enterprise is kind of morally rotten, but I think stuff like that, it are, it's things that the humans do to make peace with their relationship with the replicant. So I think they can say to themselves, look at how good we are. Hmm. Look at how look at how well we treat these non-human um, tools that we created. Aren't we great? Aren't hmm. we fine? Hmm. That's an interesting point. I guess that also could tie into uh, the whole attitude that Love has throughout the film, where she's kind of like, she acts like God, you could say. <laughs> She has a super god complex in this story. Like, there's one scene where she's just kind of watching a whole scene play out, like, after Gosling's uh, plane gets shot down. And he's just like, there you are. No, no, you you go do that. Like, <laughs> she's, like, talking to him. She's talking to herself, even though, like, as if she's talking to him. I like when she was ordering the drone strike while she was getting her nails done. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely a, a power switch there. Um, I uh, I'm trying to think of things I might have liked to have seen. Again, I, I talked about that big orphanage scene, which, um, like again, I get why that's there. I just something about it. I'm not gonna say it ground the film to a halt. It just felt a little clunky, just like in some of the how long it was. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, the the whole film. I'm going to use a word, Corey, that you're you're going to be surprised that you like this movie so much when I think that what this movie is. It is meditative, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's meditative. <laughs> you liked a meditative film. I did. I really liked a meditative film. This <laughs> is basically a long-running in-joke between me and Jack because I, if any critic describes a movie as meditative, that's an... That's an automatic sign that I'm not going to watch it. Well, well, it's a good thing that you didn't look at the Rotten Tomatoes, because this film was called Meditative. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad I dodged that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I think by the very end, I kind of wonder uh, what's going to happen now with uh, Deckard and his daughter. Carla Yuri. What? Carla Yuri is the actress. Oh, who plays the daughter? Yeah, she plays yeah. the daughter. She's in Great in Wetlands. Everybody go see Wetlands. Oh, okay. She, is she the main character yeah. in that? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, she's she's terrific in this scene. It's like you get a lot of actors who are sometimes they only have a couple of scenes, and like for example, or Harrison Ford, he doesn't show up until I think like two hours into the film. That's something we should also mention. Uh, uh, you might think seeing the trailers and seeing Harrison Ford and all these like uh, uh, press interviews uh, that he's a big part of the movie. He's not. He's this is the least amount of screen time in any of his uh, uh, parental 
revival films uh, that he's done lately. You know, the other ones, Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Um, but I think this might be my favorite performance from him because he's gruff, but there's also a lot of pain and just that he's kind of bottled up over time. Like, I almost picture that, <clears throat> you know, like Ryan Gosling finds Deckard in this, uh, like, abandoned casino that I guess has been under radiation. Is that also what we're supposed to believe? Yeah. And yet somehow he's kind of weathered it. Um... Did they explain how he did that? No, they just said that there was radiation there, so that's why people left Las Vegas, but by now the radiation has gone down, so... But just people didn't bother to go back and check the levels or something. Yeah, but there are bees. Not <laughs> <laughs> the bees! Yeah, there's a random moment where Ryan Gosling, as he's going through Vegas, comes upon, like, a swarm of bees who, uh, I guess, don't sting him. Um, I guess because, well, I guess he was a replicant, it doesn't matter. Um... But yeah, I I'm not. I guess I'm, I guess we need to wrap things up because I, I think we said a lot of the spoilery things. Um, oh, I, I, one of the things about we were talking about the relationship between Gosling's uh, K and Joy. Yeah, that's another thing. I really did like that relationship, but I also really like the fact that after you've bought into the relationship being real, that they then you see all the, the holographic billboards and they reveal that the droids are all designed to say whatever the user wants them to say. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah, like there, there's a mo twist. Yeah, there's a moment where uh, after uh, Kay's joy has been destroyed that uh, he's uh, in the city again um, and there's a gigantic hologram of uh, a, a naked woman who has the face of joy. So it's like, how unique is it if you have the same face repeat over and over again. Um, this actually, I think, gets mirrored in an interesting way, too, with uh, with Deckard. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that Jared Leto's Wallace does is that he has um, Rachel in, like, her original pristine form come up to him. Which was actually, that was one moment where I was a little worried because I was getting, like, a Tron Legacy flashback. Uh -huh. Although they did... Such I don't know. Did that? Sean Young is in the credits, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, they must have done like special magic CGI. That was like stuff. it. It looked like it was she was there. Yeah, it was from really the movie. Well done. Yeah, that was like that's. I think they might have perfected what they were doing last year with uh, with, with Cushing and Rogue One. Yeah. Um. But then it's great because then Decker just says, "She had green eyes." Oh, shoot! Right in the head. Um. Yeah, you know, as if that was... Was that supposed to be, like, a test, do you think, of him? I think that they're trying to seduce him with the promise of a new Rachel, but they did screwed it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll make a new... You would think that they would have gotten that right if they had, like, the original tape from their first meeting in the Tyrell it, Corporation. It, it was just audio. So they didn't no, 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 it was just audio, but... So yeah. they didn't have visual. But they, they should have had some type of records about who, how, like, how Rachel all, was... like, the photos that they have, like, sort of sepia tone. Remember, they lost all the, the digital uh, files in the blackout. Hmm, and then, so maybe. It's a sepia tone photo of Rachel in um, Deckard's apartment. Yeah, so it's a better version of, like, the kind of thing that they did in Tron Legacy with uh, Jeff Bridges. I, I would say that, too. Um... But yeah, like we said, uh, Blade Runner 2049, I think, is a wildly ambitious film that really hits 
practically all of its marks. Again, I think the reason why I'm still unsure if I fully like this film completely more than the original is just because I kind of question if everything that the original did in questioning identity and humanity and who we are was so was well done was already well done enough there that you didn't need to repeat it in this film however as far as repeating those points they did it as well as they could have if that makes sense it does yeah all right so i think you've kind of exhausted yourself a little bit Corey. i know you loved it and anything else you want to say about it no i'm good cool um so all of you wages uh if you want to email us you get send us to an email at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Matt, where can you be found? I can be found at my blog, which is mattthecatania.wordpress.com. And he's going to put a link to that in a doobly-doo so you don't have to remember how to spell that or attempt it at all. Yeah. Um, you can also go to Facebook, and he Matt also has a fan page, Matt the Catania. So that's, that's also it. another good way to uh, find his links. Uh, that's all linked together. They interconnect so it's not yeah. a problem to find that yeah. social media and that's yeah i'm sure you could even just type in matthew catania and you probably wouldn't come up with too many other hits aside from your name yeah <laughs> also on twitter yeah. uh, you can also find waves of cinema on facebook and twitter uh we'll also make sure to share matt's blog that he will uh i'm sure and very in- inevitably write where he'll go more in depth uh i probably will also write uh, a review uh, for um, the website filmforward.com, uh, which I don't do too much, but I I think I was actually asked to do that for this film. I'm there'll be <laughs> there'll be a lot to say about this. Um, so thank you for listening once again to us. Uh, I hope you stay tuned because we are actually coming up on our hundredth episode, and we will uh, try to think of something really special to do for you guys. Uh, until next time, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And when you can't get Andrew, you should settle for second best, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, as far as second bests go, you are a good uh, uh, other uh, hors d'oeuvre. And uh, remember, the wages of cinema is retirement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's metaphorical. Yes. We were being hunted. Ah, Have a good night. You do not know what pain is yet. You will learn. Bring it to me. This breaks the world. We have to go. I'm coming with you. The future of the species is finally unearthed.